This is Joey Cantillo, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm Podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and in front of me is Roy. Hello, everybody. How's it going, man? Oh, How do man. you feel? You don't I, feel good. <laughs> I woke up this morning with a migraine headache, and uh, I knew that my baseball team, SDABL Talk, was going to be a little shorthanded. So I had to go and play and I gritted it out through that. And then we had to leave and go to the Padres game and which was a good game. And, but uh, when we got there, I had to go, like we went to the guest services and I got some earplugs because it's just, it was too much for me. Um, But the, the, the game was a good game until the very end and the bullpen gave it up. And then the Cardinals wound up winning and I was disappointed. You know, it's funny because we, we're like, we'll get a bite to eat, and then we'll meet Roy and Angela up at the place. And then, so we're watching. We went to uh, Dumpling Inn on Convoy. Well, because you work today, right? I did. I work today, and I got up super early because it's right before. It's like a calm before the storm. Next week, I, I go on vacation next week. But when I come back, we'll be doing 700 for breakfast, lunch, and dinner within about an hour and a half time frame every service. Um, but so I left early. We were like, hey, we'll get a bite to eat. So we're not podding when we're hungry. And I'm a freaking weirdo when we're when i'm not fed and <laughs> which is most of the time which is most of the time and uh, and so we're like we're listening to the game we're kind of paying attention like, a couple guys on oh shit oh damn it they tied it up and we were already up in this neighborhood uh-huh thinking like okay we'll maybe meet them maybe fool around a little bit but then it went to extras and we're like okay let's Liz, like, drop me off at CVS. I don't know why we're talking about this. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll wait in the car and just look at Twitter. And then, you know, she goes to CVS. I'm like, I need a cup of coffee. So I went and got a coffee. I dropped her off at the Marshalls. And then that's when you guys texted back, oh, we'll see you at 630. It is now 651. And so she's like, well, take me to Target. Or let's go to Target. I'm like, okay, I'll sit in the car and look at Twitter. You guys then, got the whole tour of Mira Mesa. <laughs> we know this town now. <laughs> we know this town. Um but yeah, I, I'm I'm ready to go. I actually work these next few days, and then Tuesday, um, we leave the Red Eye to Connecticut for a full week. Oh, nice, right. nice. So that's why I was kind of, and it was optional if we podcasted today. You know, and the extra inning game kind of gives us a screw up with it being a little long. You're in the sun all day, um, but that's all right. I'm here. I'm ready to go. But dude, I could not wait a week to say the Tri City Dust Devils threw a no hitter last night. I, you know, this was breaking news to me. I didn't even know that until you started playing the clip for me. Yeah, yeah. So last night I was, it, it was really slow, and I'm watching the game, and I'm just they're hitting bombs left and right. It's a great game, and I on Twitter, and I saw Chris King for uh, the broadcaster for the Tri City Dust Devils, you know, tweet out with arrow pointing down, look something very like hashtag interesting is happening in uh-huh. Tri Cities. But without saying without it. Without saying it, I look and I'm like, like, wow, what's that? I'm like, oh, I'll put it on when I didn't even look. I just said, oh, something's interesting happening. And then I said, I tweeted back, I was at work. Uh, I'll listen to it on the ride home. I should be leaving in the next half hour or whatever. And I look back, holy cow, it's a no hitter. And I didn't, you know, by the time I got to my car, the game was already over. They were in, into the post game, but they threw a no hitter. That's awesome. And it's been the third no hitter in uh, the Tri City Dust Devils uh, franchise. Okay. Uh, it's one of the only few, and, he, and Chris King, he threw out a bunch of uh, stuff, but it's one of the very few nine inning uh, no hitters. There's been several uh, seven inning no hitters because it's short season. They play a lot of short season ball. 
Um, but yeah, this, this is how it went down with with the uh, with the box score. So Jason Blanchard pitched two innings, had a base on balls and two Ks. He was one of the ninth round uh, guys out of this year's draft out of Lamar. He, um, I've seen him pitch once. Like he, they've had one game, and I saw him pitch, and uh, I've caught a little action with him. Sweet. Um, Ramon Perez pitched the bulk of it, four innings. He only had one base on balls. He had four Ks. Uh, Ramon Perez. I think pitched a little bit last year in Tri-Cities. I might, might have been just in AZL last year. Then Dominic DiBasettino. Di, Di Sabatino. God, I, I, you know, I said that name five times right, and then one time I need to say it right. Uh, he pitched just one inning. And then Deacon Meadows, a 20th rounder uh, from this year's draft, pitched two innings. He, uh, he made it interesting with the three base on balls, but two Ks and got out of it. So it wasn't a perfecto. It was not a perfecto. And in short season ball, you are rarely – Rarely, rarely going to get someone throwing a full game. Oh, yeah. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and it's even more, I think it's even more, um, you know, they talk about the Padres and the Padre fans talk about, oh, how important would it be if it was a combined no-hitter? I think a combined no-hitter is much more difficult to do, particularly in like a short season with four different pitchers. Oh, yeah. Than it is with, you know, maybe two guys or three guys. Uh, so that was way cool. And, uh Congratulations on those guys, you know. I mean, Jason Blanchard and, and, and Deacon Meadows, those guys come in and they throw a no-hitter in their first week of base pro baseball. You lucky bastards. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're hitting the ground running. This is great. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I'm, I'm a golfer. Yep. And so if I haven't played for a while or if I'm playing a place that's new, I don't have any fear. I don't have any memories of what I've done wrong in the recent past and so there's nothing to be afraid of. And yeah. there, you play with a the, with the freedom, with a different kind of mindset. So I wonder if that's some of what these guys are experiencing because they're just they're brand new. Where you, if you've played for a while, you have experience with the other players or the yeah. other teams or you're worn down by the life on the road where these guys are all just fresh, bright-eyed, right out of college or high school or wherever they're from. I, I know Ramon Perez has been in the Padres system for a few years. Yeah, yeah. But... I mean, these guys, Deacon Metters just got drafted, and Jason Blanchard just fresh out of the draft. De Sabatino's been around for a little bit. Yeah, he has. Uh, and I just followed Deacon today, I think today or last night on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, uh, when the draft was going on, I was finding every single one of those guys <laughs> and like tweeting out a thing like, Congratulations, Deacon Metters, for being selected by the San Diego Padres. Just kind of giving a little hint for the people that follow me, like, Oh, hey, there's that. There's that player. And there's a zippy underscore team. What the, who the heck is that guy? Oh, oh no, look, it's Roy. Oh, it's Roy. Dude, it's Roy. Um, but that's, uh, so congratulations, Tri-City. Um, I told Chris King just uh, via Twitter in the past month or so that we'd love to have him on again. They're starting back up. We should talk to him soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, about about what's going on up there. And particularly now, I even, just real quick, I saved that, the tweet, the MILB, on a separate piece of paper. So down the road, if we interview any of these guys in the offseason, I'll be able to come back to it and go like, yeah, hey, Jason Blanchard, you were part of the no-hitter. How was that like? Oh, yeah. Uh, just because I'm getting smarter at forward thinking <laughs> sometimes. But You know on. what impresses me? The couple of times I've been able to pull a credential for a minor league game, and they've got those sheets of paper that you pick up yeah. like in the box, in the, the press box, yeah. and there are sheets with just a bunch of random facts about all the different players in there. And the people that put that together – and that's a, a thankless kind of a yeah. job because they make the broadcasters and the writers' jobs a lot easier with all of these quick little nuggets 
at the ready. And you hear like I'm I'm a big Jesse Agler fan. I've yeah. become a big fan of his because of the preparation that he puts in. So he's got all of this information out in front of him. And when something happens, he can pull something out and point out something from someone's background right. that adds a little more to the story. And I really appreciate that stuff. Well, and it's funny because I was driving home and it went, after it happened, I was still driving with one knee and like I tweeted Jesse Agler like the Tri-City Decibels hit a no, you know, had a no-hitter tonight. I just threw it out there. Uh-huh. And I don't know if he said anything on the radio broadcast, but I just threw it out there. Um, the Tin Caps do that really well. They uh, Once a week, they'll throw out a whole info sheet. on. That's where I got the hot curry stuff. Um, that's where I got a lot of the Xavier Edwards information. It's about a three-page document. And like they had Joey. Why Joey was named Joey? Because of Joey DiMaggio. His dad Joey Cantillo. Yeah, Joey Cantillo. Sorry, Joey. What did I say? I, yeah. Joey Cantillo is Joey Cantillo because of Joey DiMaggio. His dad mm. was a big Yankees fan. And I like to think that they got that information from listening to our podcast. Hey, maybe. Uh, wow. I'm just trying to. Yeah. So we're giving the Fort, the whole Fort Wayne Tin Caps the podcast mojo. Exactly. All right. It is. And, and now, Tri-City, you have it, and you do with it with what you will. Oh, my goodness. But let's goodness. move on. We got I a feel lot like to Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> tons to talk about. Batting leadoff. So when I was up in, uh, up in Lake Elsinore last week, and God, I hope Terrence doesn't get mad that I say this. Like, I went up there, and uh, Terrence like walked by me and Matt, and he's like, "Hey, did you guys here?" And Matt even and I were like, "No, what?" He's like, "Oh, yeah, never mind. I, I gotta go." And, and <laughs> so me and Matt look at each other like, "What is that all about?" Like Ter- is Terrence it- is the clubhouse guy for the Terrence Lake Elsinore Storm. Yeah. yeah, he's the clubhouse manager, and and Matt's like, God, I hope it's a futures game because Luis Patino really wanted to have that as a uh, as a goal. Oh. And we didn't know. So I'm like, and then I heard something, maybe there'll be a, a, like a game up there where it's a futures game up there, but that seemed kind of out of the... So we didn't know. And mm-hmm. then later on, I'm like, hey, off the record. He's like, I got to work right now. Oh. <laughs> Which is, I mean, a clubhouse guy has got to keep a secret, even if it's off the record. It's For just, sure. Absolutely. I'm, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, but then it comes out, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, and Adrian Morahone were selected for the Futures game. Fantastic. And congratulations to those guys. And and that's what he was told. Then I'm like, ah, then I texted him back. He isn't texting me back, but I'm like, ha, Terrence, now we know. Way to keep a secret. So I'm excited for that because we know how good all three of those guys are. Yeah. But Mackenzie Gore has been tearing it up. Yeah. He's been drawing a lot of press, but now he's going to be able to do something in front of the national stage. And you see last year what... Fernando Tatis Jr. and Buddy Reed were both in the Futures game, yeah. and they kind of stole a lot of the show. Yeah. And so I, I see McKenzie coming in. I don't know if he's going to start or what, but he's going to go in there and be dominant, and people are going to have their eyebrows raised. And Luis Patino, he's probably going to pitch at some point, but what I'm more interested in is how that his personality, personality comes through. Exactly. He is just such an engaging, uh, charismatic person. Everybody just as anytime you're around him for any period of time, you go, I just, I love this guy. Yeah. I want to see him succeed. Yeah. And so I think he's going to, he's going to take that again this year for the Padres. And that happened with Buddy Reed. You saw Buddy Reed hanging out with Tory Hunter, who was the manager of the U S team. And- because Buddy Reed and Tory Hunter jr. Go back a ways. Yeah. They're friends for a while. They train together in the offseason and stuff, right? Yeah. And with having, you know, Toy Hunter kind of having him under his wing. And you saw that personality that Buddy has, playful, having a good time, enjoying himself. He stole that, that you know, the extra base hit from Tatis. Yeah. Um, and then Tatis made a nice play at short. In that, Padre fans may remember that Peter Alonso hit a missile 
like his first at bat off someone I can't remember who was pitching, but it was throwing like a hundred miles an hour, and he hit a ball like four. Oh, I remember feet, that. Feet. Yeah, I'm a big Pete Alonso fan. I know there's a lot of uh, friction there with Mets fans and and people with Pete Alonso, but yeah, but you're married to a Mets fan, so I understand. Yeah, well, and well, oh, man, <laughs> which is, and I love I love good minor league ball players. Now he's a good major league ball player. Uh, but we won't get into the all-star stuff. So the format this year is different. Yeah. In the past, it was U.S. versus the world, and now it's back to National League versus American League. So all that. those three guys will be teammates. Yeah. So that'll be good. You'll see them kind of hanging out. I, I, I wonder how that affects you know people kind of mixing together, and you won't see one guy face a guy from the other team. You won't see the Buddy Reed stealing an extra base hit from Tatis kind of a thing. Right. But still, it's... So what I haven't found yet is how it's going to be broadcast. I'm sure it's going to be streamed or something like that. Maybe it's going to be on MLB Network. Probably MLB Network. Yeah, but uh, keep your eyes open and find where that's going to be because it's it's always a good show. And one of the highlights for the whole All-Star Game experience in 2016 to me was... At the Futures game, watching Manuel Margot go up over the fence yep. and steal a home run away. I yeah. mean, that was the most exciting thing <laughs> other than Giancarlo Stanton peppering baseballs yeah. off the base of the scoreboard. Yeah. But, yeah, the Futures game is exciting, and I'm excited for those three guys. They get their chance to show in front of everybody. Guy Gore is going to just crush it. He's yeah, he is. crush it. Um, but moving on, we got a lot more to talk about. Luis Urias, Ty France, and Austin Allen were named to the AAA All-Star game. So that'll be in El Paso. So they have the Futures game, they have the All-Star game, and then just about, a, about the same within the same week, they have the AAA All-Star game, um, which those three guys are going to be participating in, and that's cool as well. One of the guys on my baseball team, more league chat, um, one of his businesses is based out of El Paso, and he's going. Oh, cool. And he's like, you and, you and Lydia ought to go. You and Lydia ought to go. I'm like, I cannot afford it. You need to go to that <laughs> ballpark. At some point, you we need will. to go to that ballpark. We and you need to stay in the hotel that Angela and I stayed in because it's right across the street. We we were looking down into the park from our hotel room. Was it was great really cool. But it's it's a beautiful ballpark. It's a it's a neat city to go check out. Um, and it's I this is this would be the ideal time to go. But you know maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have to scrape together your pennies. Uh, but congratulations to El Paso for being able to showcase their city and yeah. their ballpark for that. That's yeah. a big deal for them. Absolutely. Um, and it's a great thing for, you know, it's a great thing to, to for everyone. Oh yeah. <laughs> we have so much to talk about. I'm trying to like, we got to move it along. So next on here you have, a, can I read this verbatim? Please read this verbatim. It says Adam Eaton is entitled to his shitty opinion. Uh, so Me. there's a New York post article here that you have linked. I haven't read the article, but I saw what Adam Eaton said. And yeah. I, I'm sure what he said was taken a little bit out of context and it wasn't quite what he meant to come across. But it had something to do with the minor league pay rate discussion. Absolutely. And his point was that the struggle that he went through was part of what um, what fueled his fire to make him a right. better ball player. And now I remember what it was that I wanted to bring up here. Cody Decker, longtime Padre, <laughs> he had a whole Twitter tirade. Yeah. About here's all the stuff that I went through, yeah. and he is if you probably know, but he is the Padres minor league career home run leader. I mean, he is the the what did the Crash Davis of the San Diego Padres. Yeah, that he spent an entire career stuck in the minors, and he talks about the things that he had to do to get by and all the jobs that he worked in the off season. Yeah. Um, you how he had to live during the season, and that it's it's a struggle and it's hard and it sucks. And the fact that he wasn't getting paid a fair wage in his opinion, didn't 
fuel his fire to become a better ball player. Right. He had that inside already. Right. They could have been paying him well, and he still had been working hard. And the, the thing that... If you look at, I think it was Emily Walden in her article a while back, she pointed out what the and the NBA, what basketball pays their minor league players in the D League, what hockey plays their pays the guys in the IHL. Dude, you know what the practice guys for NFL football practice squad? Mm-hmm. They get like five thousand a week. Yeah, it's insane how much money they make. Yeah. And, and and then you've got minor leaguers that have to devote themselves all year long, but they're only getting paid for a few months out of the year. Yeah. They're not getting paid for spring training and fall instructs. And then in the offseason, they're expected to train and eat and everything like a world champion. But, oh, we're not going to pay you. So right. figure it out. And it's it, it, it seemed like a like a tone deaf kind of a thing for Adam Eaton to say. I'll, I'll, I don't it, think he meant to crap on all the people that are trying to get to where he's at, yeah. but it's what it can't how it came across. So, did you read the the New York Post article, and what was your opinion of that? Well, my opinion was it was like in his defense, he was basically saying keep him that way because it makes you hungry to work hard and get out of the minor leagues. What our position is, what the position is, is like you can't excel in a and now the game is even changing ever since he was in the minors what 10 years ago maybe mm-hmm. um you have to be coming in spring training on fire ready to go you have to have nutrition you have to have the training you have to devote your whole off season into into playing into practicing and you still might not even make it out of the complex yeah. um I understand. I understand where he's coming from, and it, it, it is kind of uh, get off my lawn kind of mentality of like, uh, well, back in my day, you know, we ate Pizza Hut every day or whatever. Um, and I understand his viewpoint, but if if you're paid a living wage, these guys are going to work just as hard. Mm-hmm. They, it, it just means they're not going to have to like go to some extremes that they do. Well, and if they don't work hard enough, then somebody else is going to take their job from right. them. That's the thing. There's the draft. There's all these new players coming into the, every year. You get and you get released. It's not like you can be making I don't know eighteen dollars an hour, and then they come in the office and like, okay, kid, sorry, you're getting released. Yeah, and that's not even like you're getting fired because right. we caught you doing or you you were calling in sick too much. No, it's just you were trying hard. You just yeah. weren't good enough, and so get packing. Right. And then they don't have a college degree. They don't have all this other stuff to fall back on. And nobody's asking for minor league players to be rich. Nobody's saying pay AAA guys six figures. They're just saying pay them a fair rate so that they can, you know, survive. Yeah. So it's it's so so it's something I feel passionate about, as you can tell. As we should, we as we feel passionate about it. So the next day on Instagram, he uh, you know he posted a picture of him with the uh, Reno Aces. Uh, and it said, it's not, uh, it's not okay to exploit anyone in any profession. The minor league deserves better. They deserve more money. They deserve better conditions, period. My quotes are simply from my personal experience. I wouldn't trade my minor league experience for anything. As difficult as it was, it made me the ball player person I am today. I'm sorry if I offended anyone in any way. That's a PR cover job. Yeah, it's fine. That's exactly what that is. The, the people from baseball, from the Nationals or whoever, went to him and said, hey, you, you got you to gotta yeah. fix this. Yeah. And that's what that is. I mean, come on. It's, yeah. But it's all. He's entitled to a shitty opinion. <laughs> he is entitled to a shitty opinion. Moving yes. on. So Lance Brodowski <laughs> a couple weeks ago. I'm going to have to put it explicit on this one. So uh, a couple weeks ago, Lance Brodowski uh, wrote this fantastic article in his new blog site. So he has LanceBras.com, and then his, his blog post is called The Hardball Times. And he had no, no, this no, article. No. The Hardball Times okay. is part of Fangraphs. All right, all right. I'm 
They're yeah. not on drugs. Okay. <laughs> so Lance Brozdowski, he's kind of freelancing right now. Yeah. I know that he writes for Prospects Live, um, and he puts stuff up for different SB Nation sites. Um, I, I think he's been published on The Athletic at least once now, but he's just trying to get his information out however he can. Yeah. And so Fangraphs is kind of a sponge. They've got their community side, and since he's so well-connected because people respect him because he does a really freaking good job. A really good job. Yeah, so the Hardball Times allowed him to publish this story on Fangraphs. So it's called The Art of the Changeup. And it, it talks to he talks to Trevor Bauer on developing his change and using the Vulcan grip, which Lance described as like this: by waiting by wedging the ball between his middle and ring finger, it allowed him to release the ball with its ideal side spin and achieve a similar hand position as to his other pitches. He mentions Chris Paddock, Logan Allen, and talks to a friend of the podcast, Joey Cantillo, on throwing it in high school. And Joey says, "You don't need to throw it in high school. A 88 mile an hour fastball works, especially in Hawaii." He says with a laugh, part of his daily throwing program during his first summer uh, with the Padres consisted of throwing his changeup. It was the worst part of my day because I didn't know where it was going. He says now the following spring, however, it extended in an extended spring training in Peoria with the Padres. The pitch finally clicked. The constant build of delivering the pitch from the prior year allowed him to finally become comfortable with the movement. It's just repetition. He says his changeup is now considered his best pitch. Yeah. He talks to Trevor Bauer about this, and it, the article is huge. But you know, Cantilla got several paragraphs of this article, and it finishes up here. He sees young pitchers struggle with changeups, changeups a lot, citing confidence and grip as the reasons why the pressure in between my middle and ring finger gives it depth. Cantillo says, with the regular four-seam changeup grip, where a pitcher's middle and ring finger are not forced apart, no friction is created between a pitcher's hand. And the ball, there is no reason for the pitch to get depth, he says. So w- what he describes about somebody having a hard time learning the changeup, it, I've, I've read that a lot. So there's a guy on Fangraphs named David Lorilla that has a whole series about I- each article. He talks to three pitchers, and it's how they learned a particular pitch. Um, and there was one where he talked to Logan Allen, Joey Lucchese, and Chris Paddock. And it was all about how they learned their changeup. changeup. And they showed the grips of a couple of guys, but they all talk about the same kind of thing that I started throwing it and I had no, com- no control. I didn't know where it was going, it was going. <laughs> but it was doing something cool. And I just kept doing it until I figured out how to use it. So it's, I, I find that in that part, that process interesting yeah. that you find something, it does something, you go, Whoa, what was that? How do I do that again? And then it's a very difficult thing to figure out how to master that. So now I had another, as you were describing, the Vulcan changeup. If they ever put me on the mound, I'm going to come up with a new pitch, and I'm going to call it the Mork Ball because of Mork and Mindy. Mork. All right. Nanu, nanu. <laughs> <laughs> nanu, nanu. Look yeah. at you. You got to be a little older to get that one. <laughs> and you play for the Monos, so it'd be like the, the Monos Mork. Who knows? You know, with that with that team, anybody. I mean, today we had somebody caught, catch who hasn't caught for 20 years. Yeah. And one of the guys on the team is, runs a um, – a sports equipment store okay. in, in La Mesa. And he showed up with a brand new set of gear. He's like, yeah, I didn't have any, any used gear and I couldn't get a hold of the other guys. So here you go. Strap it on and go for it. Wow. <laughs> just brings like, I just pull it off the shelf there. You go, hope it yeah. Fits. And the guy's like, how did I get volunteered for this? <laughs> he did a good, he did a great job. So I'm just amazed <laughs> real quick to finish up with the last. I'm just amazed on how he writes so well. And he's been tweeting you know, he's in the clubhouses now, in the major league clubhouses, and he's tweeting out these these interesting tidbits. I am amazed in the 
idiocy of written sports people that have not got this guy on staff. It's going to happen soon. I mean, he is elite, elite, and graduate just graduated from graduate school. Um, I think he just graduated within the last month or two. In journalism. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's what it's been. I mean, he has to get his degree. Right. Maybe that's what he's telling everybody. And once I get my degree, then we'll talk. Because there have been open, I mean, there was like an open casting call for MLB.com. They're looking for beat writers before this season. Okay. Uh, they put it out there on, on social media. Like, if you want to write for Major League Baseball, talk to us. So doing what A.J. Casavell does, they were looking for people at some of the, the teams. Uh, but, yeah, he's what gets me is how he gets into the biomechanics of players. Yeah. And you see this a lot on his prospects live work where he goes deep into what makes a, a player susceptible to weakness of a certain part of the zone or why he can't control. So he's got good fastball command, but he can't locate it up and in. And he talks about he doesn't just talk about the difficulty that they have, but he talks about what it is about the mechanics that makes it hard for them to do that. It comes from an evaluator's perspective, not a journalist's perspective. True. Like AJ Castle, any other beat writer is a great beat writer, but they don't know they don't have the, the evaluator experience that that he does, mm-hmm. and he can come up with it, and it's it's truthful, it's genuine, and it's spot on. Well, I feel like Emily Walden has a little bit of yeah, that too. She, absolutely, she, and so absolutely. the two of them. I, I, it's no coincidence that when I saw them at spring training, the two of them were hanging out that day. I was Be- jealous. Oh, I totally was because they're two very smart people yeah. that are on the way up that yeah. I really respect their work. Uh, and they clearly have a, a bond, a professional yeah. bond and a, pre- a friendship bond yeah. that is drawing them together. And I just, it's so neat to watch them kind of working their way up because Emily just got the job with baseball America. Yeah. And now we're going to see whatever Lance goes on to do, but he's really good. So yeah, check that out. Hardball times, the art of the change. Uh, moving on. Andy Contreras now is the all time winning manager of the Fort Wayne 10 caps. Congratulations. 228 wins as a manager since 2016. He surpassed Doug Descanzo, who won 227 games from 2007 to 09. For the most wins by a manager in franchise history, more important to AC than wins since he began managing in 2014 in the Arizona League. He has had 19 players who've reached the big leagues. Contreras has been the short, uh, managed the short season in 2015 as well. So that's what I love. We, I think we've talked about this before um, with John Conniff, with, with other people on the podcast on certain managers and certain levels of of ball. He is AC is very strict. He's very regimented. And he's all about it. And I just heard it again on the on the uh, on the broadcast from John Nolan, Tin Caps. It's like he's very much about teaching these young people how to be a professional baseball player. I mean, you can have all the talent you can you have if you can't know how to practice and get ready and prepare like a professional. You're going to get passed up because talent can only get you so talent can get you to the table. Hard work determines how far you go with it. And that's what I love about him. He's so rigid and so not so, you know, he's very strict. So he, a lot of these young kids, he's a, he's a young dad. And now he's, and he was a player for Fort Wayne back when they were with the Wizards. Huh. How about that? So now, okay. So he's now the all time winningest manager for that particular team. Yeah. We don't see guys stick around at one spot in the minor leagues a whole lot as far as coaching goes. They right. seem to move up over time. I, Bert Hooten is kind of the exception to that. 
but I think that's by choice. Yeah. That he says, I'm going to live here because he's, he's in Fort Wayne too, right? He he's lives right the, across the street from yeah. the ballpark. And so he's, this is where I live. This is where I'm going to retire. Yeah. So if I have this job for the rest of my life, I'm a happy man. But uh, Anthony Contreras is still a relatively young guy as Very far as young. coaching careers are concerned. So at some point, he's going to move on. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to Doug Desenzo that I'm sure another opportunity opened up. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen the Padres retain these guys now. Now yeah. that we've seen Preller work his thing for the last few years, yeah. you've seen Edwin Rodriguez go up to AAA. To AAA. Um, a lot of these guys have stayed within the organization, pitching coaches, hitting coaches, and they just move up with the players a little bit as time yeah, goes well, by. They're, they're doing that with the hitting coaches. They were... Um, this last season, 2018 to 19, I think it was 17 to 18, all the hitting coaches moved up once. I think Morgan moved from from uh, Fort Wayne up to Double A. Um, Doug Banks. Doug Banks moved up. Yeah, they, everyone like moved up one one rung. Okay. Um, and I would suspect that could be the same thing with with the managers. Like, okay, hey, Philip Wellman, you're a longtime baseball coach. Do you you know what's your plan? Mm-hmm. Here's our plan. What we do have for you. And he may say, like, you know, I'm fine where I am. There are, well, move me up when you can. Or even other organizations, you don't want organizations poaching these guys. Oh, no. So if, if they're going to move up, you have to find a place for them. And, yeah, and you want to keep these guys because they know the ball players. They, they the, the higher-ups know what kind of manager they are and how the connection they have with the players and what that means to an organization as well. Yeah, so Rod Barajas being the bench coach, here in San Diego, yeah. for example, and you've got all these guys that over the last two or three years, they went through El Paso, so he already has a relationship with them. Maybe he can speak to them in a different way than yeah. Andy Green, who didn't know him a couple years ago. Yeah. You know, there's more of a father-son kind of a relationship of, you know, listen, kid, you messed up. <laughs> right. Don't make you run polls like we did here in El Paso. Or, yeah, absolutely. And, and that creates that culture of like familiarity, uh, comfortableness, the connection. It, it I mean, it, people talk about, what did I listen to? I was listening to the Driveline podcast the other day, and they had O'Flaherty. I can't remember his first name. Eric. A, Eric, uh, a left-handed reliever? Yeah. Yeah, Eric O'Flaherty. He's like, people poo-poo the chemistry of a ball club. If you have if you have chemistry, it creates that, com- that, that will, uh, comfortableness to, to do better. You can be competitive with their players without it being kind of re, you know not remorseful but resentful or you know where you have to like try really hard but it's more like yeah, I'm going to beat you I'm going to do better than you um, he said people really downplay the chemistry of a ball club and you can have a great chemistry but you have the one all star that's kind of a jerk and even though there's just one guy who's kind of a dick now that we've already cursed enough I can say the D word um, <laughs> that trickles down it does, and it, and it trickles down. So if you have someone like Rob Ross as your bench coach, um, it just makes the whole organization better. So if I can derail this for a little Major League minute, they had the social summit yesterday at the Padres game, and we had the honor of attending. Thank you very much uh, to the Padres organization. And they did a uh, social hour. That they haven't done the social hour for a couple of years, yeah. and they brought, up, brought it back for a one-off kind of a thing. Um, and one of the guests was Logan Allen. And he talked about that, that the, the the chemistry and the energy that they have in that clubhouse is something that he's never 
experienced. Yeah. Now, he's a major league rookie, but still, uh, all the teams that he's had coming through, the minors and all this stuff, you recognize when you've got a group of guys who really enjoy playing together. Yeah. And then, so we sit in the bullpen, and we've noticed something different in the last couple of games in the pregame routine. Yeah. So it used to be that the starting pitcher would warm up and do his thing and go into the game. Now, the other guys in the starting rotation have been walking out with him and they sit there on the bench while he's going through his warm-ups. And then afterwards, there's this little, you know, they go through and they've got their little handshakes for each other. But it's it builds that camaraderie. And it gets you in the right mindset that my guys have my back and, right. and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Rather than I'm a man on an island out here. It's just me, my catcher, my pitching coach, whatever. Yeah, It's, it's neat to see that. And these guys really do seem to enjoy playing t- together. Absolutely. So now hopefully these coaches, I mean, Anthony Contreras coming up through here, they're they're planting those seeds at the same time that you've got waves of talent coming up. And these guys all should have some some friendship going together. I mean, you what Hosmer and Friendmill always do the jump high five. Yeah. And then uh, Renfro and and Hedges do the same kind of thing. It's like these guys pair up and then Manny and Tatis have a thing. So it's it's neat to see that, and that that's what makes baseball fun. I mean, winning is fun, but when you're winning with guys that you enjoy playing with, that's where it's at. That's very peck of you to say. So let's move on. <laughs> let's. let's move. I don't have any turntables, but I got a microphone. We have two microphones. Uh, John Conniff interview. So let's let's go back on track here with with um, John Conniff was in Fort Wayne several weeks ago, and he interviewed Anthony Contreras, and we have a couple of the a uh, little bit of the interview here. That I thought was really interesting. Um, this is Don Conniff to Anthony Contreras. You had Henry Henry last year as a starter, and this year he's really excelled coming out of the bullpen. What has changed? Anthony Contreras. Starting and relieving takes a different mindset, and Henry, he has the ability and stuff to be a starter. The mental side is different. As a reliever, you're getting called down on a moment's notice, and it's let's go. And sometimes that benefits guys. But he's been thriving in that situation where he doesn't know where he's going to pitch, and he's been able to, and he's able to blow it out for two or three innings. He has a wiry body and a live arm. He's throwing 95 out of the pin, and he has a good slider. He's been our most reliable. He's been our most reliable coming out of the pin when we use him in any situation. He's just building his portfolio, coming out there, and his confidence and his maturity level has gone up. It's just it just pays dividends for him going forward. So that's interesting because he he was one of the high dollar signings out of out of the he's not Cuban he's Dominican I want to say J sixteen the J two two thousand sixteen signings but yeah he was one of these heralded guys and he's kind of scuffled the last couple of years so then you change his role and you find something that works I I don't know what it is about the mental side that is different about relieving versus starting yeah. but all the, the preparation and all that stuff maybe he's too much time to think yeah I I don't know but I saw him. You know, when you saw him last year in the past two years in in, in uh, Fort Wayne, you're like, God, that guy's he's wiry. I watched him pitch the night before last, and he looks like he's starting to grow into his body. He's starting to look like a pitcher. Oh, okay. Um, and he was throwing BBs. Uh, he threw a solid two innings. Yeah, he gave up two runs, I think, in the second inning. But, like, he has that good 96-mile-an-hour fastball with command and then the, the wipeout slider. I love him as a reliever. I love. I, I can't wait to go. Coming in, Henry, Henry, and then he has to have some kind of cool walk-up song. But um, I'm a big fan of Henry. Henry, going on, moving on. Uh, I'm always amazed at how some young. This is John Conniff. I'm always amazed at how young some of your catchers are and all the responsibilities that you give 
to there. You give guys to the, uh, hold on responsibility that you give guys. Blake Hunt has hit the ball hard early in the year, but has run into some bad luck. Defensively, he looks like he's made some improvements from last year. Anthony Contreras. For the first part of the question on his hitting, that is something a lot of guys go through in professional baseball, where you're hitting the ball hard but not getting results. That was about a three-week stint, which isn't a long time in the context of the season, but feels like an eternity when it when you're in it. When you see other guys getting swinging bunt hits, it can be frustrating, but it's also a part of growing in the game. It's about how mentally strong you can be in sticking with your routine because it's what allowed you to get those line drive outs, and he's done a good job with that. Blake is an exceptional young man in the way he goes about his business, and guys like that are going to have success because of that. Defensively, he's a very good student of catching. He wants to get better, and he's getting better. As much as our schedule allows, we are up there with all of our catchers doing different receiving drills. Blake is very diligent in doing his receiving prep before the game. We do about 5-10 to ten minute prep before every single game. In terms of before the game, he is watching a video of every game, breaking down his glove work and his positioning. He's working with what to call in certain counts and quite a few other things. Riley Westerman, our coaching coordinator, excuse me, uh, really does a good job in spring training of making everyone understand what is expected of his catchers in the system so they are ready for it during the season. Once you get into the routine, you don't think of it as grueling or monotonous. It's just part of your day. Blake does a great job of watching other catchers and picking up parts of their game that he can use. We are always talking about that, and you want that effort and passion because the game will reward you, and he's getting better every day. Huge Blake Hunt fan. Huge. We're just like, it's, yeah, we're the Blake Hunt fan cast. <laughs> but, so he is such a student of the game, and I, I appreciate that he watches video of what he did and what other people do so we can try to learn and figure out there's there's a feedback loop that you need to have. And that's, I mean, Tony Gwynn, as I'm sitting here in our, in, in our clubhouse here and I'm looking at our Tony Gwynn wall, he kind of pioneered the video, you know, back when he would have his wife tape stuff on the Betamax and then so he could play it back. But you have to watch what you did and to figure out what you did right, what you did wrong, what you right. could have done better. You, and because I think back on a, on a, whatever I did and uh, I can relate from golf. I can think back and tell myself what I did, but from an, a third person standpoint, it's a whole different thing. I yeah. may think that I put a good swing on it, but then you look at it, oh, I did not put a good swing on that. Oh yeah. Or maybe that was the wrong choice in that situation or, or whatever. Uh, but that he puts in that time um, and that the, the organization is supporting him through that. I mean, he's only going to get better from that. Uh, Riley Westman is one of the best catching instructors in the game. From what I can tell, it sounds like the Padres really have a gym in Riley. I'd, I'd love to talk to him at some point. We will reach out when the time is appropriate. See if we can't talk to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a, he's a personable guy. I had a chance to talk to him a couple of weeks ago. He happened to be at Peco Park, and we were there before the game. And I'm like, hey, I recognize that guy. So if you want to get a better absolutely. And then he came over and talked to you guys. Yeah. That yeah, super rad. nice guy. And he didn't have to. We were we were out there for whatever it was. Uh, BP or something. Batting practice. Yeah, and I'm like, hey. And I called out his name, and he walked over and talked to us for like five or ten minutes. Super nice guy. Didn't have to do that. No. That was right when Mejia got called back up. So they're putting in the time with Mejia. And I saw that before the game. They were doing some receiving drills 
with him while the pitcher was out stretching out in the outfield. Nice. They were doing the, you know, where he's sitting just a couple of feet from him and he's tossing a tennis ball and yeah. you're catching it with your fingertips. Yeah. I've seen a few of the catchers do that. So it's they're they're putting in the time. And you had to put in the time, even at the major league level. And if you guys want to go back and listen to our uh, episode with Blake Hunt, I mean, it truly, for even you for fathers out there that have catcher sons, it's an incredible uh, clinic on on what to do and what he does as a catcher and what he thinks about and what yeah. he sees and how he sees it and why he sees it. All the things that he's processing with every pitch, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's amazing to me. <laughs> to go back to just finish up that point, like – I play rec ball as well. And like, I've got to hit that ball really well. Man, it was on my back foot there. And then you see video of yourself and you're like, oh my God, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you you really are an amateur. Well, and before every, so the stuff that goes through their mind on every, like I'm, I play the outfield yeah. and I might think about what the count is and how many outs there are, right. where the runners are. But then oftentimes there's a ball that's coming my way and I'm going into field. And I'm going, wait, I wasn't thinking it at all. I don't know where I'm going with this when I come right. up. And then I hear the guys yelling at me, but I don't know the situation. So I make yeah. a bad decision just because I hear somebody yelling cut and I hear somebody else saying third, three or you, you, you panic in those moments. Yeah. But if you have the preparation before that, then the panic isn't there because you already know what before the ball's hit to you, you know what you're doing with it. So moving on now, Lance and Morgan Burkhart are coaching in the same team in El Paso. Yeah, good for them. That's so cool. Yeah. Hey, Morgan 47 is the team's hitting coach. Lance 44 is the fielding coach. Morgan, who was a player, reached the major leagues with the Red Sox, Royals, and has coached in the Padres system since 2013. And Lance, who's played professionally for 13 seasons, joined the organization in 2015. That season, he replaced his brother as hitting coach for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. And that is all we got until we now go into the affiliate rundown. So moving on with El Paso for the single, uh, Friday, Donaldson Lament went five innings, throwing a high 90s fastball with a slider and changeup, both improved from when the Padres fans saw him last in 2017. Lament's most impressive work of the night came after he allowed two walks and a pair of singles with one out. With two on and one out and his lead down to one, Lament bounced back and struck out the next two. The last one on three straight off-speed pitches. The double, moving on real quickly because we still got a ton to talk about. Friday, Andres Munoz pitched two innings for the first time since joining El Paso. He struck out two in the sixth. In the seventh, he gave up a leadoff triple and hit a batter, but came back to strike out the next two batters. He ended the inning with a ground out to shortstop. That's huge. Having two innings for the first time in the big. So they're starting to slowly fold that in there. I'm hoping that's a signal that they're working towards maybe in the next month, maybe in August, uh, maybe late July, that if we need him, he's he's got the stamina, he's got the work in to, to and maybe go back-to-back -back days. That's but, the thing that they've been pointing out on Mad Friars, that he hasn't gone back-to-back -back yet. Yeah. Yeah. But the two innings in a row also is really huge. Uh, I didn't write down a triple for El Paso, but moving on to Amarillo. Okay, so the Amarillo Sopros had the the Texas League had their All Star game, and for the single, I have down here all five Sob Poodles batter on the rosters got to start in Tulsa last Tuesday night. They should have just made it the Sod Poodles it against the rest of the league. Really, been fantastic. Uh, Owen Miller Owen Miller's double was the, uh, was one of four extra base hits in the game. Edward Oliveira singled, walked, and stole a base. While Cal Overstreet drew a pair of walks. How hard is it to draw a walk in an All Star game? 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's an all star game. I'm stepping up there thinking I want to give Packing. these fans a show. Right. I don't want to step right. up there and you know it's like the all the NBA all star game and I don't want to go up for a layup. I want to throw down a, a right. windmill slam dunk. And Overstreet's not exactly your walking machine. He's not an OPS guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he's he's a straight slugger. Uh, Emmanuel Ramirez opened the game up uh, on the mound, allowing one hit in a scoreless frame. Travis Radke. Turned in a clean inning, and David Bednar came in to rescue the former Padres farmhand, uh, Walter Weichel. Wa- Walker Weichel. Walker Weichel. Wow, he should sell that candy or something. Um, who, <laughs> who allowed? No, well, yeah. Let's go to Weichel's Donuts or Weichel's Candy Store. He's not Willy um, Wonka. My goodness. <laughs> Walter Weichel. Uh, he's just, uh, you know, it's his cousin. <laughs> Anyways, uh, who allowed the Norris only run? So... The the Saw Portals did well in the All Star game. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I think I worked that day. Um, but it was good to see us represent and do well. That's a strong representation there with all those names. Absolutely. Well, we were the first half uh first half champions of the South Division, so you know, with the most wins against the most players. But let's move on here. The double on this last Friday, left handed pitcher Adrian Morahone started and completed two innings. The lefty has thrown more than forty one pitches. Morehome needed just 30 pitches Friday night, throwing 22 for strikes. He touched 98 a few times and worked more efficiently than he has in the last few innings. Outings, sorry. Go did, ahead. did you see a, a couple weeks ago, Kevin Acey in an article said something, and he mentioned something about that there's a plan to possibly get Morehome to the big leagues this year? I don't know where that came from because yeah. it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense given what his workload has been. He's also not going to be Rule 5 eligible this winter, so right. I don't see the incentive for them to do that. But I, I, Or the performance. No, not at all. Yeah, he's been good at times. Yeah. And he has electric stuff, and when yeah. he's on, he's good. But there's... I I don't I want... The word maturity comes to mind, but that's not what I mean to say, but his emotions take over. It, it seems like he's a very emotional pitcher on the mound, and it works against him. And it's something they need to figure out how to get working for him, that if he gets in a jam or something bad happens, it just unravels. Yeah. Uh, but then when he's when he's on, he, is, he looks like a potential ace. And you talk to evaluators like you know Lance Brozdowski and Jim Callis and these guys, and they say that when he looks good, he is right there with Mackenzie Gore. Elite. He's 1A. Yeah. He's 1 and 1A yeah. with Gore. So, I caught I a little bit of that. Go ahead. So, yeah, I was just going to say, I I don't know how the path gets him to the majors this year. It's a, it's a next year, maybe middle of next year, middle late next yeah. year. But I mean, I even saw somebody on Twitter saying, oh, hey, it's going to Gore and Morihone and Patino are going to the Futures game. Maybe they should just bring them up and put them in the bullpen for the second half of the year. It's like, dude, that's not that's Pump not what breaks. you do. Yeah, and it's a whole different role for these guys. They're starting pitchers. Yeah. It, you don't just yeah. throw somebody into the bullpen and say, go get it. It, yeah. it doesn't work like that for and, a lot of guys. And there's development. There's there's innings limit. There's just a, a whole laundry list of things you you have to have to achieve those boxes you need to check before you even get close. For sure. Um, if anyone is close, it is McKenzie, but not even close is he going to be talking about the major league team this year. Well, you talked about innings limits last yeah. year. He was hampered by the blister issues. 60 innings. He just passed it. I think this last start of the start before. Yeah. So if he gets to a hundred innings this year, they're probably going to be talking about wrapping it up for the year. Yeah. You know, great job. And let's work on getting you up to 120 next year. Right. So, uh, Kevin charity in one of his, uh, one of the round downs or one of the affiliate rundowns for them, for the mad fires, 
He said he had just passed 60 innings. They're talking about maybe 125 for him. And that's about nine starts. Mm-hmm. So the discussion with him, and we'll get a little bit more in this as we get into the Lake Elsinore storm, but there's maybe nine starts for him left in the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if he is already packed up and like since Terrence knew over a week before that they told Mac like, hey, and this is just a speculating, like you're not coming back. Pack your stuff up and be ready to move. Because uh, once you leave um, Cleveland, you're going to go straight to Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And that's just speculation. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Because he is not going to. We're going to go about this in a minute here. He's not being challenged. Um, but to go back to really quick for Adrian Morhone, I did catch I did catch an inning of that. And 97-98 rolls off that kid's hand like it's butter. Oh. I mean, it's effortless 98. And I saw, you know, I watched his body language. Because I, I, I mentioned it like last year. Like, he just seems a little... He gets emotional. He gets surly when he doesn't do well, and he gets way happy when he does well. I saw a playfulness in him this last start that I, I took as, um, and this is just a thumbnail on a tip of a needle spotlight. But he was very playful. He was um, he was having a good time. He was doing pretty good. But it, you know, he he seemed to be more relaxed and like he threw a bad pitch and he kind of like it was a playful pop of the glove, like oh, I'll get him next time. You know, our next pitch, um, he just seemed a little bit more maybe loose. Okay. As they've seen him in the past. I've seen him start in, the, in Lake Elsinore, and it's just maybe I'm closer and I see his face, you know, his facial expressions. That's like, wow, dude, relax. It was just a ball. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing of scouting that you can't get on a, on a, on a sheet. Right. You know, what's the guy's body language? How does he react to situations? Go back to the pitch count thing. So last year, McKenzie threw 60 innings in in game action. Yeah. But between his, you know, when he was on the DL, he was still throwing bullpens yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so I, I'm curious, I, when we get a chance to talk to somebody on the player development side, I think I'd like to talk to them about how they manage innings limits, pitch count limits, how that works with game situations, bullpens. Um, in the preseason, what's going on? Like in if they're pitching in Peoria, how much does that count? Do you just right. add it all up? Do you wait certain? Uh, because even people talk about pulling Nelson Lamette up to the majors, and but then oh, it's going to be higher leverage situation, so he's going to put more stress on his arm. Right? Is that really true, or is that something that the player can moderate? I it, it's a it's a, it's something that I find interesting. That, Incredibly interesting. Yeah, so 60 innings is what he threw in on the box scores when you go on his baseball reference page. Right. But maybe he threw 120 innings overall. Well, spring training. Uh, you know, right, you, the bullpens in between. It's funny how at the All-Star game, like watching him throw, he didn't have to throw. He wasn't going to th- throw, but he got his work in, and he threw about 30 pitches. Because I heard Luis Camposano say, that's about 30 pitches. All okay. Right. All right, that's it. All right. Right, you know, <laughs> McKinnon, and they walk off. So, like, he's very cognizant of how many pitches he throws, even during a bullpen in an all-star game he's not even going to pitch in. They've got to have it charted out somewhere. Yeah. yeah, and he has that on the top of his mind. Mm. Even as the catcher, you know, and Mac as the pitcher is like, okay, this is what I need to do. Can't exceed this. He wouldn't tell us what his innings limit was or pitch limit was. It's an organizational thing. I would love to see that. I want to see what their plan is and how they present it to the players, how they monitor it through the year. It's one of the questions I have down um, for when we talk to either uh, Sam or if we talk to Chris. Okay. Um, 
how does that player work? Because one of the articles, and we're getting way off base here, but the article I read with, um, was it? No, it was driveline baseball. They talked about when your pitcher, so at the end of the season, here's your, you know, they don't tell you, okay, Roy, you need to work on your slider in the offseason. Or, you know, you're getting close to being released. They just go, here's your player plan. Go with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how in-depth or how much urgency they let you know or where you are in your organization. They just say, here's your plan. Go do it. That's a really good question. I'm not even sure if they'll let us know that. But I'm not afraid to ask that question. You know, it's and it's a tough question to answer. You know who would be the right person to answer that is Kyle Bodie. Ooh. From from Driveline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see that whole thing going down on Twitter last week? I did not. So Kyle Bodie started Driveline. This is his business, and what he has done has revolutionized a lot of how people look at biomechanics and training and optimizing pitches. And there's a lot of stuff that has come out of that that company. Um, and multiple guys have been hired. In fact, I think the Yankees just hired one of their guys to be some kind of high level uh, pitching advisor or right. something along those lines. Right. And so he, Kyle Bodie, the guy that started the company, finally put it out on social media and he said, that's it. I'm looking for a job. And he put his name out there and he said, I want to be a pitching coordinator for a major league franchise. Basically putting his, you know, here's an open casting call. Come and send me your offers. And so there was a conversation going around on Twitter with Padres Farm and a couple other guys. And we're like, and I, I saw the one tweet hire Kyle Bodie. Yeah. Like, that was kind of random. Yeah. And then Leisure Fire pipes in there like, I don't know who this guy is, if he can come out here and do that. I'm mean, like, it's if there's anybody that can, he can basically, teams will open up a position for somebody with that kind of yeah. information and that yeah. kind of a mind. It, they've spent millions of dollars to try to replicate what he's done. Absolutely. And he said that San Diego is the one place that he'd be interested in, in moving to because he already lives in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, it's just up the, up the street. Yeah, so if he got a job like on the East Coast, I'm sure he would you know, get a condo over there, and you know, but then his home base would still be Seattle. But if the Padres hired him, maybe you'd see Driveline 2.0 open up here. Absolutely, and you have... He's that close to his own business. He's not going to close up shop or oh, driveline. No. no, not at he all. He has plenty of guys. He has a whole staff of guys on payroll that are doing most of the work anyway. Yeah, I'm sure he's got it to the point where it's kind of a – he's got people operating it, and mm-hmm. he's no longer involved in the day-to-day operations. You really got to listen to the Driveline podcast. I do. It's, I it's do. It's incredible. Um, I, I listened to it at the gym. The, the, the Flaherty interview was just like – it was incredible. He was just talking about being a major leaguer, and he's like – all this time, you know, he's like, I, I made the big leagues at 22. I had no idea what I was doing. I And, like, he would ask questions. So, like, did you feel like you were a big leader? And did you do this? He's like, no. I just kept my head down and mouth shut because every time I got a guy out, I was like, oh, my God, it's working. And I, he was like, he was truly humble. He was like, and a lot of, you know, we think these guys are major leaguers. And I know we're way off the beaten path here. A lot of some of these guys are just stoked to be there, and when you talk to him, like, "Wow, you're kind of big league me." Well, he's afraid to say anything that might be construed as, you know, it's like he's a, he's a, he's like he's still a deer in the in the, in the lights of the headlight. Did I say that right? Deer in the headlights, yeah. Deer in the headlights. It's just like he was so stoked. It's, a, it's an incredible podcast. But if you don't know why what you're doing is working, then you're at a disadvantage, right? Well, I mean, he, he had a pretty good slider, and he but he explained it from a very humble percentage, a humble point of view. Yeah, 
And uh, yeah, but if you don't know why your slider is doing what it's oh, yeah. doing, yeah, and then when something starts to go wrong, how do you fix it? And that's they talk uh, about it again. I'll talk as a golfer. I need to know my own mechanics. Yeah. So if I'm out there and I see something one day, I need to be able to work with it and bring it back. Logan and going back to the social summit, Logan Allen, they were talking about his last start and he struggled out off the out of the gate. I think he gave up a couple of runs in the first inning and then he settled in after that. And he was talking about how you need to know what you've got every day and you've got to do what you can with whatever you got that day. Right. And he could see right away that fastball command was not there. He just was not locating his fastball and he was struggling. So what he started doing was pitching his fastball off the plate inside, getting the guys moving and then breaking stuff down below the zone to get them. You know, once he got them off balance a little bit, then he can get them swinging it junk out of the zone. It, it's interesting hearing those guys talk about that, but you need to know what you have and why right. what you have works the way that it does to fix it. Yeah. What happens if your slider all of a sudden starts flattening out? Yeah. And you don't know why you're like, I feel like I'm spinning it good and it, it looks good coming out of your hand and it's the catch is just going to, it's just not, it just ain't working. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And then next thing you know, you find yourself out of ball. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. We're gonna ruffle through all this. I'm stuff. sorry. I'm we're sorry. no, we're having a great time. I hope you guys are sticking with us. But we're on the, the triple uh, with Amarillo. So last Sunday, uh, Ronald Bolanos held Tulsa to one run over five and two thirds innings of work. The Rowdies twenty-two to eight strikeout to walk ratio in eighteen and two thirds innings since joining Amarillo is better is better than his numbers were in Lake Elsinore. But the opponents are hitting 293 against him, and Bolano is still learning how to best deploy his wide array of pitches consistently. The home run, okay, the home run I added just today, Brian Stokes from MILB wrote, Saturday, Edward Olivares couldn't keep off the bases on Saturday night. The 19th-ranked prospect homered, doubled, singled twice while driving in three runs to lead AA Amarillo to an 8-6 victory over the Corpus Christi Hooks at Hodgetown. Olivares started his night with a bang, smacking a two-run homer to left field, off Astros' number 25 prospect, Enoli Paredes, in the first. It was his 11th homer and second in 11th homer of the season and second in as many nights. The 23-year-old followed with a double to left in the third. Oliveira singled to right in the fifth, stole second, and scored on a base hit by Peter Van Gansen. After striking out in the sixth, the center fielder singled past shortstop in the eighth to complete his second four-hit game. His hitting has come a long way, Saad Poodle's hitting coach, uh, Raul Padron said he's one of the best hitters on our team and in the Texas League as well. He's been awesome so far. So Oliveira's ranks among the circuit leaders in several offensive categories. He's tied for second in with 18 doubles, ranks third with 21 stolen bases, and is tied for fourth with 78 hits, and is tied for seventh with 11 home runs. The outfielder is a green light to steal any time, Padron said, and is not afraid to take chances on the base paths. He says, he's an aggressive runner. That's a major. That's a major thing to get to getting those twenty-one stolen bases. So, he loves to run. We got him in what? He, we got him in a trade. We got him in the younger of Salarte. That's it, the Salarte trade. Yes. So, and he's twenty-three. So we still age. He's age appropriate for the league. While you were going through that whole monologue, I thought I'd look up monologue. his splits uh, because. Hodgetown has been a very hitter-friendly park, and we talked about park factors last week. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen that with individual players on the sod poodles, and Edward Olivares highlights that. Home at home, he's batting 307 with a 385 on base and a 584 slugging for a 969 OPS. His 
OPS away is 673. Oof. It's a 300-point difference Oof. in on-base plus slugging. So there's something about Hodgetown that works for him, and it yeah. works for a bunch of these other guys. I, it's it's something I like to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that they keep an eye on and from a development standpoint. But let's move on. We have Lake Elsinore. Uh, the single Tuesday, Caleb Bowsley struck out a career-high 11 in 54 innings, 17 games, five of those starts. The pitch uh, he's carrying is a 12.3 decay to nine rate. So he, he's done a lot of his work as a reliever. Yeah. And so that's where you see the high strikeout per nine because they could just go out there and throw gas and be right. nasty. You don't have to turn a lineup, a lineup over three times. Right. Injuries really had to force him and Elliot Aspect, for a better part, into starting. Yeah, and but 11, in, 11 strikeouts, that's a heck of a start. Hell yeah. Now, it's been a little bit inconsistent because I think he got rocked in the start immediately before that yeah it, 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 him and i uh, kind of put those two together because they were on the podcast last uh the, for the all-star game but you know they'd have a really good outing and then they'd have a really bad outing but that's you know part of being a, a reliever moving into the starting role uh has to do with ballpark i think when elliot's <laughs> he gave up like eight runs in lancaster oh yeah you got to throw that out which is actually really <laughs> low um but moving on so wednesday mackenzie gore pitched six and two-thirds innings three hits one base on balls, nine Ks. Sam Dykstra of MILB wrote a tool shed on players. That are, I, I think ahead. I saw that in the first inning was where he, he walked a guy. It was like two hits and a walk. Yeah. And then after that, he locked it down. Nope. So that's, the context is important to me that, yeah, it's three hits, one walk, nine strikeouts in six and two-thirds innings. But most of that junk happened in the first. And then he cinched up his belt and went at it. It seems to do that every time. You know, it, he does that, and we talked about it earlier uh, with Danielson Lamette. And a lot of these pitchers, it, almost getting guys on base and getting behind makes you really focused. Patino has been doing that a lot this year, too. Absolutely. Getting guys on there, I go, damn, I really got to buckle down. But let's move on here. He wrote a tool shed on players that are destined to move up. Uh, and it goes like this. Now, Mackenzie Gore, Class A advanced like Elsinore. Yes, Gore is still only 20 in his second full season. Yes, he's already thrown five more innings than he did last year. These are just a few of the reasons why the Padres don't necessarily need to push their top prospect. But there's a big reason they should. He just isn't being challenged anymore. The Southpaw has allowed either one earned run or more in 12 of his 13 outings with the Storm. That's it, one earned run or none in right. 12 out of 13 outings. In the one other one, he allowed just two. Uh, his 1.3 was one. Point two three ERA is about a run lower than any of his closest California League competition in the category. That's Vasilia's Josh Green with two point two one, and ranks third among uh, full season. Uh, he ranks third among third among full season minor leaguers. I that's cut and paste. Me. So that's single A, advanced single A, double A, triple A. Everyone. All There's the, only a couple of guys with a better ERA that have qualified for the uh, ERA title. Yes, the matches. Uh, the match. This matches up with a scouting that says Gore has two plus pitches in his fastball and curve and two more above average offerings in his slider and change. Along with good control, he's scheduled to pitch for Lake Elsinore on Wednesday, which we just talked about. And if all goes well, almost every other 2019 outing he's had, it will be high time he tested his arsenal against AA in Amarillo. I, I like your prediction that he's going to play in the Futures game and then move up after that. That makes yeah, a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Um, it, it gives... Lake Elsinore Storm gives him a lot of that, a lot of the, just a lot of ground covered, you know, a lot of health. Like we've crossed all those boxes off. Just make sure they're crossed off. Okay, they're crossed off. Okay, they're crossed off. Okay, they're crossed off. All right. 
And a lot of that has to do, I would think, and we would, as soon as we talk to someone that knows more than us, of like who moves up from double A into triple A. There's a lot like, of people that know more than us. There's tons of. We like, just spoke to John Conniff a couple of weeks ago. He knows a lot more than us. He knows a lot more. <laughs> um, but just and the reasons why and 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 why they holding it back and you know we thought maybe he'd go before the All Star break. It wouldn't you know. Um, but anyways, we got to move on. Congratulations, friend of the podcast. Way to use the podcast mojo. We're just going to keep calling that podcast Mojo until I see him again. Heck yeah. But moving on to the triple Saturday, Aaron Lesher's nine strikeouts tied the season high. He set in his last start on Sunday against the same Inland Empire team. He struck in out at an impressive 9.5 batters per nine this season, but he has allowed 9.4 hits per nine. He's been streaky, allowing four multi-homer games this season, but has lowered his ERA to 4.06 down more than half a run since the middle of the month. Yeah, you see weird statistical things like that, especially in that it, it seems like the California League is full of that. Yes. Where a guy's got a ton of strikeouts but also gives up a bunch of hits. Uh, the trip, AAA's been like that this year, and Robert Stock, what he's been doing recently, comes to mind because yeah. he's striking everybody out, but then he's issuing a ton of hits. Right, <laughs> so and it's like, walks. What, there's, something, there's some information in here that's missing. Moving on. I'm, I'm putting together some questions. Next time I go up to Lake Elsinore, I think I'm going to ask to talk to Aaron. Yeah. Uh, home run Friday, Luis Patino struck out a season-high nine batters in five innings of work. The 19-year-old hasn't produced the eye-popping numbers that Mac has. Yeah, but nobody has. Right. <laughs> but, he hasn't allowed two or, but he has allowed two or fewer runs in 11 of his 13 outings. Overall, the top prospect is averaging 11.5 strikeouts per nine during his 59 in the third innings of work. While he's just short of qualifying, most of his numbers would slot into the back half of the Cali League's top 10. Also, Gabriel Arias left the game after being hit in the face with a pickoff throw to first. As of now, there is no update. Did you tell Liddy that about that information? No. Because I, I believe your wife is fond of Gabriel Arias. Yes. I believe she feels that Gabriel Arias is one of the more handsome men in the Padres organization. Yes. So he, she, he has a nice quaff of hair, too. He does have a nice quaff of hair. <laughs> So she she might she might you might want to let her know that Gabriel um his his beautiful face has been damaged. I I, well, I don't want to get her upset. That'll be a, that she'll get upset. This is true. And um and I don't you want don't to rattle you, the hornet's nest. Right, you don't don't. And and what I loved about Gabriel is when I asked him like who's your like I asked all these guys who your celebrity crush is. He's like uh uh and my girlfriend. So is, that, is that what he said? Yeah, and I, I pushed my heart. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. But, like, he's sensitive. So we don't want to, like, we don't want to ruffle those feathers either. If, oh, for sure. If his girlfriend hears any of this stuff or <laughs> if any of that gets back to her. Gabriel Aris, you do not have to worry. Liddy Lurie is not coming after your man. No. <laughs> She's mine, damn it. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to Fort Wayne. So uh, last week, Joey Cantillo earns Midwest League Pitcher of the Week. He's in the triple, so listen. He should win that every week. It should be just the Joey Cantillo. Um, I'm really it's impressed. It's the Joey Cantillo Pitcher of the Week Award. <laughs> if you if you you got to get a chance to watch him pitch. He um he yes, he's getting a little bit of swing out of the zone pitches, but he is his sequencing, his command uh is fantastic. Um the curveball, the changeup, the the you know, the fastball command is right there. Um it's very impressive and he's not throwing 98, he's throwing 92, 91, 92. Okay, so you've watched a lot of minor league baseball the last couple of years. Yeah. Did you watch a lot of Nick Margavich's last year? Yeah. 
How do you think the two compare at this level? Nick has a much better curveball. Okay. I mean, that curveball, his curveball was drop off, off the table. And in, in, in A ball, a lot of those guys can't. It's the fastball, then they get up with the fastball, then you throw them a little bender, it gets, they, they swing right over it. So it is, um, it is those kids finding out who can and can't hit the curveball. Why are you, what are you doing back here, son? Huh, dad, I couldn't hit the curveball. Um, that's when they really separate the people that can hit and the people that can pitch. He's like, he's doing well, yes, and he's doing well with sequencing. He's commanding all pitches, but the hitters are just not, they don't know how to hit a changeup. Only a couple guys know how to hit a curveball. And so I think um, the arsenal, as sharp as it is, is playing up because of where he is. When he gets up here to Lake Elsinore, as the guys from Lake Elsinore move up to here, we'll see how that goes in a much hitter-friendly environment. You know, Pete Zamora talked about it. It's like once you get up here to high A, these guys aren't going to chase a high fastball. They're not going to chase a slider away, you know, or, or the curb mode, the backdoor curveball, or whatever. They're going to let, they're going to pick their zone and they're going to attack. So, but it's just. So, let, one thing let me I want to. triple here. We got much more about code. Because I, I made that comparison, I do want to point out that Joey Cantillo is still 19 and Nick Margavichis was a college product. So, he was a few years older when he entered the organization. Yeah. So Joey has a couple of years of development ahead of him. And so he can still put on some more velocity. He has a lot to learn about himself and, and all of this. And what I, every time I hear them talk about Joey in, in Fort Wayne is he's a tireless worker. He is one of those guys like Mac, like Chris Paddock, who is working hard every day. AC talks about it in the interview on Twitter after after his last outing, which we're going to talk about here in the triple, is like he's a tireless worker. He wants to get better. He puts in the work, and he's that diligent. On top of he was Hawaii's Gatorade Player of the Year when we drafted him. But let's let's get down there. We got to get going. We're almost we're well into the hour time here with this. Woo! And we still got AZL to talk about. So the single Wednesday, Augustin Ruiz hit his first grand slam of the season, putting an exclamation point on a June that had seen him hit 300, 366, and 500. He's continuing to strike it at almost a third of his plate appearances and hasn't drawn a walk in 12 games, but he had a, he's having a really good month. Uh, he had a really bad May. Remember we talked about him early in the beginning of the season? He was just like a stud. This kid's 6'2", 6'3". He looks, he has the look. Yeah, but he's a teenager still. And he's a teenager still, but he's not like Chubby. He's got a build where he's he's built. So he's going to be – he's having a great June. Uh, the double, Efren Contreras, who tossed five no-hit innings, then lost the game late. Uh, this is last week as well. The 19-year-old who was still in the DSL a year ago now has the third-best strikeout rate in the Midwest League. And though he's sitting just outside the top ten in ERA, FIP – in ERA, FIP – Ray, uh, marks him as fourth best qualifier on the circuit. While he doesn't offer much physical projection, the Juarez native, ha- Juarez native has added two pitches since under the radar signing in 2017. And much can be um, and can match the intensity of any higher profile prospect in the system. So there's a lot to work with there. Going on to triple, back to Joey. Last week, the 19-year-old earned memo pitcher of the week with six innings shutout with 10 strikeouts. He went out in his next outing Wednesday through an eight-inning shutout with nine strikeouts. Even more impressive. He became the first time he became the first 10 caps pitcher since Pedro Avila in 2017 to throw eight innings. 
and the first to log eight scoreless innings in a regular season since Corey Kluber, oh. 2008. Oh, my God. <laughs> have I told you about my, my Ryan Ludwig jersey? <laughs> That'll have to be a story for a whole different day, but oh, my gosh, the cloud of Corey Kluber that hangs so over this organization. This here. I know I really appreciate you guys hanging out this long. <laughs> Um, God, the sun's going down here. So going to Tri-Cities, the single, almost a year ago to the day, Omar Cruz struck out 10 and in four one-hit innings in a second AZL start. The lefty did the same in the Northwest League. The 20-year-old struck out six in the first seven he faced. But in the third inning, he walked two, hit a batter, and committed an error on a sacrifice bunt uh, to the plate to play to run. Only four of the 17 batters he faced put the ball in play. Two were bunts, and just one reached the outfield. Cruz posted a 2.01 ERA in six outings for the Dust Devils last year and was sent back to the Northwest League this year to improve command and efficiency. So that's what, one of the things you get with these young guys uh, is you get, holy cow, he strikes out a bunch of guys, and then there's a bunch of evidence of he needs to learn so much more. But you like seeing the strikeouts. You like seeing the positives. But you see in these in these younger guys in the lower divisions, they have work to do. So um, we're excited about that. But it's one of the things you'll see in some of these lower division guys. At the end of last year, he was somebody that I had my eye on. I mean, he was posting impressive numbers. You don't scout stat lines. No. But he did really well in Tri-City and in the Arizona Summer League. So it seemed like he was the kind of guy to come back and hit the ground running. He's an undersized guy from Mexico. Uh, they've got him listed at six foot, 170 pounds. And it sounds like that six foot is a generous. Right. You know, oftentimes, the, the, what, the height and the weight that they're listed at isn't quite accurate. So he's an undersized pitcher that has some electric stuff that, like you said, he can, he can dominate low level competition. Right. Um, right. But if he's using a lot of pitches to get there and that kind of thing, that's where you talk about efficiency yeah. and command. Moving on to the double shortstop, Jordy Barley has hit safely in 11 of the 12 games this year. His six game hitting streak puts him one away from a career high. Playing at a higher level this year, Barley has raised his walk percentage, decreased his strikeout percentage, and hit for roughly the same power in a power suppressing environment. Well, Giza Stadium's huge, and the environment there is is it's really heavy air. You got to absolutely crush the ball to get it out. Uh, while all these are minimal gains, they are still good indicators from a talented nine year old, nineteen year old. Now, remember, he was a big, he big part of the 2016 signing and went silent. Yeah, he was part of that group of Gabriel Arias and Justin Lopez. Those three guys were always grouped together like yeah. three electric shortstops yeah. that are each very different, but guys to watch. Yeah. Moving on to the triple Friday second baseman, another guy, Ronaldo Ilaraza, singled, stole the base, drew two more walks in the Dust Devil loss. Ilaraza's start of the season has been quite fascinating. The 20-year-old has drawn in league high 19 walks in 50 plate appearances. For those of you keeping score, that's a 38% walk rate. The next closest batter to Ilaraza has drawn 11. He also leads the league in stolen bases with seven. However, Ilaraza has just six singles in 50 plate appearances, which led to a 167, 500, 167 slash line. <laughs> and once again, another one of those guys drafted at 16, 2000, the, the J2 2016 was given a lot of money. We have all this hope, but has, you know, he's, he's, he's still so young. 
I, we saw him in spring training. He was one of these guys that was added to the major league roster to go make a trip. So we saw him play against the Brewers. Nice. And it was kind of fun because we were sitting in the, in the bowl. We were down near home plate. And I saw him jump up there. And I said his name. And he turned around. He's like, oh, somebody here knows who I am. Right. Oh, <laughs> nice. That was the game we missed. Or was that the game we showed up late? Uh, that was the game you guys showed up late. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, God, we, uh, we're just going to – I guess – so that's it with Tri-Cities. I mean, he's a 20-year-old kid from Venezuela. Dude, it you know, it's game. You're in a whole different country. And, yeah, how many people are really going to know your name? Yeah. So I remember seeing him last year and watching him, like, you're doing infield drills. Yeah. And I'm not an evaluator, but you can see when somebody's fluid, when they have the motions and it's just stuff comes easy to them. Yeah. And he was one of those guys. You see him, I think he was taking drills at second or short, and he's – He's just he just looks like he belongs Smooth. out there. Smooth. So I got a couple uh, AZL notes here. Outfielder Hudson Head hit a deep deep triple and scored a pair of runs Friday night. The newly signed Head is four for eleven since starting his pro career. Also, Friday outfielder Yordi Francisco hit a pair of homers as a part of a career best night. The twenty two year old outfielder is spending his second consecutive season in the AZL after two years in the Dominican Summer League. Signed in two thousand fifteen as an eighteen year old. Following a late growth spurt, the Dominican remains an interesting one to watch despite his age. C.J. Abrams' hit parade continues as the Padres' sixth overall pick has hit safely in his first nine games, including seven multi-hit efforts. The 18-year-old sports a 476, 489, 667 slash line in the AZL. It would be nice to see him in, in Fort Wayne. Oh, he's going to leave the complex he soon. He has to leave soon. You don't you don't just keep putting up that kind of production in the AZL. No, and then at the very end, King call it uh, Colette. That looks like call it. I would I, say call it. Potato, potato. We might have to reach out to him to find Collette, out. I just found him on Twitter today, and now so I told him we were going to talk about him. Um, the team's thirty fifth, thirty uh, fifth. Sorry about this. Keegan, the team's 35th round pick, earlier this month made his professional debut with a scoreless inning. So it's so, on the board. I've got a similar report like that. So there's a kid named Sam Williams okay. who is a San Diego kid, and he got signed as a undrafted free agent All right, uh, right after the draft. And his, I believe it's his uncle, is active part Padre of Twitter. Padres Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was like, hey, yeah, my nephew, yada, yada. And like, oh, really? What's his name? And so I saw in the uh, Mad Friars write-up that he – Two innings pitch to hit and a walk. Um, I think he's made two or three appearances now, all scoreless. So I love I love the local boy done good yes. story. And also the undrafted free agent yeah. part of it. I would yeah. love to hear that. You know, what's it like to think that you might be drafted? I don't know if, if they were talking to him, if, if anybody was talking to him throughout, but obviously they knew who he was. Because yeah. right after the draft, they went out there and signed him. Yeah. It's that's got to be a nerve-wracking kind of a thing. Well, it's weird that, that kind of happened with Nick. Like, they didn't know if they were going to draft oh, That's him, right, Nick Hoosier, like, yeah. All right, then we're going to do it. Um, from my own experience, uh, working at UCSD, Jack Larson, who's in the Seattle organization, he was their uh, left-handed right fielder, just hits bombs all the time. Actually uh, saw him hit against uh, Luis Patino during spring training um, and is doing really well. Was an undrafted free agent. Signed with the Padres? Signed with Seattle. Oh, with Seattle. Okay. But was one of these guys who last year was his first year in pro ball. Got signed. Hit his way up to, to the Midwest League. I can't remember what team is Seattle. But he played against our tin caps. And I watched him. He, he won the... He didn't win. But he made the All-Star team there. Got pushed up to high A. I think is now in high A now. As an undrafted free agent. Good for and him. So wow. there's lots of guys. Those, and it's a D2 school. So it's... 
Yeah, it's scouted, but it's like, you know what? If we can have time for you, we'll find you. Um, but it happens. These non-drafted guys get a chance, and they do really well. Um, another kid who actually got drafted pretty late, uh, Tyler Derna from the Cubs, was in the Northwest League last year and now is with the South Bend Cubs in the Midwest League this year. First baseman, um, watched his career at UCSD. Just great kid. You know, hits the ball hard. Actually got a couple of hits against our uh, team Cubs the other day. But if you get drafted, you get your chance. They give you the opportunity. Now, that opportunity is weighted based on a lot of factors. And one of those things is how much of an investment did they make in you when they signed you? So somebody that an international um, signee that signed for hundreds of thousands of dollars or a kid that was drafted in the first 10 rounds and they signed him for a half million bucks. They're going to give that kid a lot longer leash. Exactly. Because it's, I I feel like there's, it's a, it's a saving face kind of a thing. There's a lot of pride involved with the scouts and the player development folks that somebody campaigned for him versus the kid that signs for a thousand dollars because he wasn't picked in the draft. And he can't pitch his, or hit his way out of the complex. Yeah. A couple of years, you get released. And we don't see a lot of that. You see some of it. You know, there were a couple of guys that I recognized during spring training. They got released. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, you know, the vast majority of those guys, they don't say. They just they just say, all right, I'm done. I quit. Or they release and then you don't see it. It's in some back page transaction. Where he was released. Already. Well, yeah, this stuff doesn't get announced. Yeah. I mean, you see it on the transaction page. And then you might see somebody on social media talk about it. Um, who was – there was a uh, there was a player for the Padres, and his wife had a blog about the life of living on the road as – That's a, the baseball gypsy? Yes. The player is – Nick – Oh, God, Nick – I want to say Schmidt. Torres. Torres, yes. Nick Torres. Yeah. Yeah, good outfielder. And I thought that he was on the verge of maybe having a chance to break through. And then, boom, he's cut. Well, then 2016 happened. They invested all that money. They had all those draft picks. All of a sudden, a guy that was in our top 30 dropped down to below 50 because we had all this influx of talent come in. Mm-hmm. And he was a pretty – I remember Nick Torres. I remember sitting behind him during spring training the year me and Liddy went out there. Ourselves. I'm like, that's Nick. That's Nick. Like, who the fuck is that's Nick Torres? right there right there like in the bleachers yeah yeah you, know, like, you see him in spring training and I'm yeah like, yeah then like the next year it's like oh yeah holy shit there's mckenzie you know then the next year it's like oh wow we have all these but that's what happens mm-hmm. it's and cutthroat it really is kind of brutal it, it it is um and and it also like like our top 50 guys the guys from 30 beyond would be top 30 in most organizations oh like yeah a lot of our, our our organization is so chock full of talent and so many guys that we don't even know um that they would be top 10 top 15 top 20 in other organizations where they're like well you know he might break the 30 um xavier edwards i think would be a top 10 in most organizations he's maybe top 20 in ours yeah and then a guy like joey cantillo he wasn't even listed on fan graphs fan graphs went 54 players deep on their listing yeah. and they didn't even mention joey yeah and now he's rocketing right up there. Absolutely. Well, we're about 120 minutes in. Or no, we're about an hour and 20 minutes in. Uh, and we have taken up enough of your guys' time. We really appreciate uh, you guys sticking in with us. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at SD Donovan. And I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Woo! Go Padres. Go Padres. Go Padres.